Friends, stories are powerful. Disney understands this. They got it down. They have mastered not only storytelling, but how to immerse people in these powerful and and uniting stories. Each year, millions of people uh, come to the Magic Kingdom as visitors. Now, last year, the Muscle family was among them. Look at that face. I think this was the moment that Elsa appeared on stage or whatever she was watching. And when we were there, I was amazed by several things. Uh, The number of other languages I heard, oh man, just people from all over the world had come to Disney. Uh, I was amazed at uh, all the generations represented. People of all ages love these stories. And I was amazed at how quickly and gladly I surrendered all my money. (laughs) Just whatever I got to do to get that, I will do it happily, happily. You know, all these, all these things, the, the, the people from around the world, people of all ages came to share in the love of these stories. They speak to us. Disney movies kind of each have their own moral lesson, don't they? Like in Aladdin, we, we find that three wishes can't change who you are and you have to be yourself. In The Sword in the Stone, we have a young squire who challenges everyone's expectations of what it means to be king. Toy Story teaches us about materialism and true friendship. And The Little Mermaid reminds us that in no situation is a seashell bra appropriate. (laughs) Uh, I could take a risk at being here about four years. Now, these... (laughs) These Disney stories all have a common thread, don't they? Now, usually with Disney movies, man, it's a parent has either died or is dying. It's terrible. But there's a, there's a much larger common thread that's found in, in almost every good story. Author Donald Miller lays it out in his book, Hero on a Mission. And he says in every, in every story almost, without fail, there's, there's four characters you can count on. A hero, a villain, a victim and a guide. Four primary characters. The victim is the character who feels they have no way out. The villain is the character who makes others small. The hero is the character who faces their challenges and transforms. The guide is the character who helps the hero. And so as you read a story or watch a movie, you feel sympathy for the victim, you cheer for the hero, you hate the villain, and you respect the guide. These four characters exist in stories, not only because they exist in the real world, but because they exist inside each of us. And so which role do you find yourself playing often? If someone were to make a movie about your life in 2022, what would it be called? Survive Until Bedtime, a parent's story. (laughs) We're going to take a turn here. Uh, on hold with the doctor's office. Addiction. One step forward, two steps back. Would our movie be called Terrified Someone Might See My Internet Browsing History? Or would anyone want to see the movie called Same Stuff, Different Day? How could that story be different in 2023? What kind of story is God inviting you into? 
I'm willing to bet that it's more fulfilling than whatever story the world wants to sell us. Over the next four weeks, we're going to take Donald Miller's character framework, the hero, the bangles, the villain, the victim, (laughs) and the guide, and we're going to combine that with the story of Moses. I love Donald Miller, and uh, his books have had a huge impact on my life. I was so excited to read this, but it lacked a little Christian narrative for me. So we're going to take Donald Miller's excellent work, and we're going to take uh, what I hope is good theology, and we're going to smash those together in this series called The Hero and the Mission. And what I hope we'll discover together as we study God's word is that our hero transforms our story. It should be instructive for us that around 43% of the Bible is narrative. The Bible in many ways is a giant collection of stories, individuals and communities transformed through their faith in God or through their lack of faith or their disobedience to God. We'll look at Moses as the hero in the story of Exodus. Donald Miller says, heroes are anything but strong and capable. They're simply victims going through a process of transformation. And we will see that play out in Moses' life. He goes from an orphan to a fugitive to a reluctant liberator. That's a transformation. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. It's the story of the the Hebrew people, the Israelites' exit from slavery in Egypt. The exodus. And Moses' origin as the hero begins in chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman... And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The tribe of Levi was one of the 12 tribes of Israel, and they've all been enslaved by the Egyptians. And Moses' mother has to hide the birth of her son, Because Pharaoh, we read earlier in chapter 1, has given this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. I I just can't get my mind into a scenario where placing your child in a basket is a good alternative. I mean, it's just unfathomable that putting your kid in a basket on on the riverbank gives him better odds of surviving. This is an intense story. Now the Hebrew basket she places him in, the word used in Exodus 2 for basket is the same word used for ark earlier in Genesis with the story of Noah. I thought that was interesting. Not just trying to show off my software. <laughs> I, I, you know, there's an ark, there's a, there's, a, there's a thread there I think is interesting. Now, before Moses is a hero, he's the victim of Pharaoh's cruelty. He's enslaved and separated from his family. We read on in verse 5. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the, the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister, his being Moses' sister, asked Pharaoh's daughter... Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. Well, who do you think she got? So the girl went and got the baby's mother, her mother, Moses' mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, 
Take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Moses' mother is one of the heroes of this story. She risks her own life for her son's life. Then her daughter, Moses' sister, stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. And she's the one who gets asked to get one of the Hebrew women. That was her suggestion, Moses' sister. And then, of course, she goes to her mom. You know, I've, I've heard this story many times, and I'm not sure I ever put this together. I mean, I've seen all the movies that Moses' mother still nursed him and raises him until he becomes Pharaoh's daughter. Excuse me, Pharaoh's daughter's son. And she names him Moses. Now, the name Moses is related to the Egyptian word for boy, kind of a generic name, and it's also a play on words. The Hebrew word for draw out is mish, and the Hebrew name for Moses is Moshe, mish Moshe. So it, there's, there's some wordplay there, Moses being drawn out of the water. That's how he gets his namesake. And so Moses is in a unique position because he's born and nursed as a Hebrew, but then raised in Pharaoh's court as an Egyptian. John Wesley said this, he founded Methodism, and he said, observe the beauty of providence. Look at what God did. Just when Pharaoh's cruelty rose to this height, the deliverer was born. Much later in Acts chapter 7, it would say of Moses that he was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Pharaoh, unknowingly aiding the person that would become Egypt's rival, is part of what makes this a good story. That right under his nose, he was raising who would become Egypt's challenger and the hero of the Hebrews. Now we know that Moses is aware of his Hebrew origins because later in chapter 2, starting in verse 12, we read one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, so Moses becomes a complicated hero in his reaction here. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. So Moses takes vengeance against the Egyptian for oppressing one of his people. And then by doing so, he makes himself a target. But he's not yet respected or seen as a hero by his fellow Hebrews. In college, I took a class on the Vietnam War. And I want to be sensitive because I know very well we have people in our church who didn't need a class about Vietnam. They were there. And in this class, I remember seeing video footage of servicemen and women returning from Vietnam and they were greeted with jeers and even spit on by fellow Americans when they returned. This to me seems hard to fathom now. But these people had given their lives to military service, had enemies everywhere in Vietnam, and then they return home and they also find enemies waiting for them, some of their own people. That's where Moses finds himself. He's buried his Egyptian ties in the sand and he flees to the country of Midian. Egypt is on the upper left in this map, and Midian is on the lower right, just to give you some geographic context here. 
So having been born a Hebrew and raised as an Egyptian, Moses is now neither. There's a principle in storytelling called save the cat. And, and that's when a character does something selfless, like saving a cat. I think in the movie Rocky Balboa, he actually saves a cat. They like weren't even going to mess with the formula. You may have remembered that. But doing something selfless, like saving a cat, endears the character to the audience. It helps us root for them. If you'll pardon the phrase, it re- saving the cat reveals the character's character. And so is Moses a violent criminal or a just defender? We get a clue in Exodus 2, verse 16. We have a save the cat moment. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs of water to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered the flock. Now, bada bing, bada boom, by verse 22, Moses has married the priest's daughter Zipporah, and they have a son. I only have like 23 minutes with y'all, so. <laughs> then we read this. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. These final verses in chapter 2, they set the scene for God to call Moses back to Egypt to oppose Pharaoh. Remember, heroes aren't flawless. They are victims who face their challenges and are transformed. Moses was born into slavery, raised in his captor's court, fled his country out of fear for his life after he murdered someone, and he now finds himself a foreigner in Midian. That doesn't doesn't seem like a great script for Moses. So next week, we'll look at Pharaoh as the villain and how Moses opposes him as the hero. Moses becomes the hero by facing a challenge at great personal risk for the sake of others. Who were some of your heroes? Who are people that you aspire to be like, that you admire, that you've seen live for something beyond themselves? One for me is Eugene Peterson. He's a pastor who brilliantly and faithfully served and and, and wrote amazing books, and he served for decades before he passed away. He was faithful to his church, and he was faithful to his family. Another person for me is our own Judy Gingrich. She has been a constant source of encouragement in this community. These are people who have been through things, who've suffered loss, and they kept going. They stayed faithful. These are people I aspire to be like. Eugene Peterson never desired to be a famous pastor. Now, normally, if I'm going to reference someone in a sermon or put their picture on the screen, I get their permission. But I didn't ask Miss Judy because I was afraid she'd tell me no. (laughs) Surprise! Here's the deal. One of the things I've really enjoyed is having my buddies, getting them to come preach here. Last week was an example of that. My buddy Allison was here in October. And without, almost without fail, I get a call or a text about a week later. I got the nicest note from someone at your church. And I don't need two guesses who it was from. And it's just so fun for me. I just love, love, love that they get just a little taste 
of what so many people in Kearney and in our church have known a long time. So I hope you'll forgive me, Miss Judy. I put your picture on the screen. Because here's the deal. I've noticed most heroes don't think of themselves that way. That's the thing. They're so selfless, they don't even consider themselves a hero. And so I'm not sure that going through life, imagining ourselves as the hero in this epic tale that everyone, this movie everyone would want to see, I'm not sure that's the best way to pursue the life God has for us. But pursuing our hero is. Because our hero transforms our story. As we'll see in this series over the next three weeks after this, Moses is the hero in the story, certainly in the book of Exodus, and probably you can make a case that Moses is the hero of the first half of the Bible, the whole Old Testament. But Moses was pointing towards the hero of the entire story. See, Moses was uniquely positioned both as a Hebrew and an Egyptian to lead the Hebrew people out of slavery to Pharaoh. Jesus was uniquely positioned as both human and divine to lead all people out of slavery to sin and death. We read this in the book of Hebrews. Now, there's a lot of Hebrews going around here. So the Hebrew people are the ones enslaved in in Egypt. Thousands of years later, a letter was written to the Jewish community, and it's entitled The Hebrews. So this is from a New Testament book much, much, much later. We read this. Starting in chapter 2 and into verse, excuse me, into chapter 3. Since the children have flesh and blood, he, Jesus, Jesus too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, Fix your thoughts on Jesus. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. The hero in every Christian story isn't themselves. It's Jesus who came to earth being made like us to show us what God is like and make a way for us back to God who would pass every test that we would fail. So let us fix our our eyes on Jesus, who is worthy of greater honor than Moses. Our hero transforms our story. We can receive help from Jesus when we're tempted to give up or play the victim or let our selfish ambitions turn us into a villain. Not just by agreeing with the events that we read about in the Bible, not just by like mentally checking yes to Jesus, but in opening ourselves up to the Holy Spirit, which Jesus sent in his name. He said he would not leave us as orphans and that he would send an advocate to continue to teach us and guide us that can be present in our lives. Any story worth living, any meaning in life comes from placing our story in Jesus' hands who came that they may have life and life to the full. Donald Miller says that we have been forced into this life by the breath of God. We come out crying and gasping for air And what we do with that air is what constitutes the quality of our story. We can bemoan our unsolicited life all we want, but when we do, we ruin our stories because we play the victim. We can rage at God for bringing us into a world we did not ask for, but when we do, we play the villain. 
Remember, for us to be heroes, it doesn't mean that we're going to be without flaw. It means we can be transformed by the one who is. With Jesus as the hero in your life, what kind of transformation could you experience? As you consider the year ahead, how could your story look more heroic this time next year? See, I'm going to wait till all the New Year's resolution dust settles. Then I'm going to hit you with it. Remember, the victim is the character who feels they have no way out. With Jesus as our hero, we can claim the hope he gives us. The villain is the character who makes others small. When Jesus is our hero, we can have our desires transformed from selfish to selfless. The hero is the character who faces their challenges and transforms. When Jesus is our hero, his spirit can enable us to be more heroic. The guide is the character who helps the hero. When Jesus is our hero, we can care less about our position and more about guiding others. Moses went from orphan to fugitive to reluctant leader. Scripture is filled with stories of people experiencing transformation when they give their story to God. Our hero Jesus transforms our stories as the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and in our lives and our stories. Friends, we don't all have to be a perfect hero. We just have to follow the one who is. And everybody said, amen. amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much uh, for this appointment with you, this chance to be together, to sing praises to you, to lift our prayers to you, to respond with our offerings to you, and to hear from your word. God, help us to be both encouraged and challenged as we remember the story of your people Israel. God, help us not to sit idly by when we can be people who speak up for what is right. God, many of us have been true victims we ask that you would draw near to us and trust that we can place our story in your hands and that you can turn it into something beautiful and meaningful. God, it's easy to sit on the sideline and never take on the challenges of life and just try to get along and go along. God, when we profess faith in you, we set out on a story of transformation. We ask that you would continue to work in our lives. It's only by your spirit that we're enabled to change, that we're enabled to have the strength to get up and whatever waits us on Monday morning, to give it another go. Not through our own strength, but through that which only you provide. God, help us through this community of faith. Thank you for, for providing guides along the way. Help us to see ourselves not as the hero in our story, but as people who by your spirit live a life worthy of your son, our hero who came for our sake. It's in his name we pray. Amen.